God's Word tells us this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So three different songs, three different lyrics for you. Number one, we sang this one this morning. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Number two, come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Number three, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. These three lyrics from the three different songs have one theme in common. That is, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. As Christians, and in the Christian calendar, it's time that we celebrate the advent of Christ, right? the coming of Christ, Jesus' birth into the world. But Christmas isn't special solely because a child was born, okay? Now, to be clear, childbirth is truly a miracle from God. For those of you who have witnessed such a thing in person, been able to see that happen, or if you're a mother, obviously, right? It is truly a miracle and a gift from God. But Christmas isn't glorious simply because a child was born. Notwithstanding, right? You understand what I'm saying? Christmas is unique and special and glorious because of who was born. Not just a baby named Jesus, but rather who was this baby? Who is this baby? Who was it that was actually born? And as the Christmas carols remind us, and as we just read about in Matthew chapter 2, this person who was born is the king of the earth. This person who was born is the king of the angels. And as the Magi referred to him in Matthew 2 verse 2, this is the king of the of the Jews. So Jesus is king. Okay, we can establish that. That's clear from Scripture. Jesus is king. And it's our responsibility as people in the 21st century to receive him as king. As the songs say, our responsibility must be to bow before him, to adore him on bended knee. Our response must be to come and behold him. We don't use that word too often these days, behold, but it's a it's a very great word. It's not just look. It's about savoring and really enjoying something, beholding God. And it's also about um, worshiping Him on bended knee, as, as I said. So if you and I are going to do that, here's, the, here's what my main emphasis today. If you and I are going to receive Christ as King, if we're going to rejoice in our King, then you and I must grasp with what the kingdom of God is. Right? Jesus is King. He is the King over something. Jesus has a kingdom What is his kingdom like? Because receiving Jesus as king isn't merely about letting him into your house. Okay, You can receive somebody into your house in a technical sense and just kind of give them the cold shoulder and kind of show them around. That's not the point. Okay, You can do that in theory, but to receive Christ as king is to embrace him warmly, to embrace him with joy, to embrace him with excitement. So how do we do that as Christians? Well, we have to understand who it is that's visiting us. What does he stand for? What is he like? What is his kingdom like? What is his kingship like? So to do that, this Christmas Eve, what we're going to do is look at 
uh, four truths about who the king is, four aspects of his kingdom. So if you're taking notes, four I's for you. The letter I. Number one, the incarnation of the kingdom. Number two, the inauguration of the kingdom. Number three, the impact of the kingdom. And then finally, the invitation to the kingdom. Number one, the incarnation. One of the very unique components of Christianity is that the king, God Almighty, has come into the world. John chapter 1 verse 14 famously records these words. You've probably heard this before. But John 1 verse 14 tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. One pastor I personally enjoy listening to is Tim Keller. His, he was a pastor in New York City. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But Tim Keller had a wonderful quote, a wonderful way he was describing the gospel, and that's this. Christianity is not about human beings here on earth looking up to God, trying to climb the ladder to heaven or trying to climb the staircase to heaven. Rather, Christianity is about God coming down the staircase to bring us up, to carry us back up to heaven to be with him. Christianity, let me repeat that again. It is not about God being in heaven, looking down at your life today and saying, hey, just try a little harder. No, you got it. You get it together. You, you can do it. Just put your step right there, you know, grab right there, and then you can, you can make your way up. Absolutely not. Christmas is all about heaven coming down to earth in the form of a person, Jesus Christ the Lord. The incarnation, this is also important to understand. When Jesus came to live among us, this is not what politicians like to do. Now, there is merit to this, okay, but just understand where I'm, where I'm going with this. What politicians oftentimes do, let's say in a hurricane, right? I think of Hurricane Katrina in uh, Louisiana. Politicians will go there after the, the decimation, and they'll go there for an hour photo off, and then they'll return back to their White House, Okay. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus lived in the mire. He lived in the destruction. He lived in this cold, dark world for 30-ish years. Okay? He, he walked with the poor. He fellowshiped and had food with the outcast. And he lived among the scoundrels, which is you and I and, and all people. Okay? The King Almighty, he traded his robes of glory to be clothed and wrapped in swaddling cloths. The King Almighty, he left the warmth of heaven to experience the coldness of this dark world. The King Almighty left his throne of glory so that he could be laid in a filthy feeding trough. This is the King who we serve. So the glory of Christmas, the beauty of Christmas, why it's so astounding for Christians, is because the kingdom of God has come to earth. Not in an abstract, impersonal, vague way. The kingdom of God has come as a person. Jesus Christ the Lord. And you might be wondering, what is the kingdom of God? You keep throwing that phrase around, what does that mean? Romans 14 gives us a great description. What is the kingdom of God? The righteousness, the peace, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, The righteousness of God, the peace of God, the joy of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. So if we're going to receive Jesus as king, you must understand and you must believe that he came to earth as the God-man. Number two, 
the inauguration of the kingdom. So in the incarnation, Jesus came to identify with us. I heard it said before that, um, you know, regarding Jesus, the incarnation, that whole thing, God Almighty, he can help us. But if God is only God, he can't fully understand us. On the flip side, a human being or a man, Jesus as the man, since Jesus is man, he can understand us fully. He, he's lived in our bodies. But if he's not God, he can't fully help us. It's only in the incarnation that Jesus can help us and fully understand us and empathize with us. And just think about that for a moment. Think about your own earthly human context. How many of you have a good family member or a friend who empathizes with you? Who, who mourns with you? Who cries with you when you cry? And who rejoices with you when you rejoice, right? It's both and. How many of you have had that blessing in life? To have somebody close to you who can empathize with you. Right? It's a precious gift. Having somebody who can empathize with you is a precious gift from God. And we have that in Jesus. He can fully identify with us since he lived among us. But understand this. Jesus didn't come just to cry with us. He did that. Think about John chapter 11. When Jesus cried with his friends, when his own close friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Okay, so Jesus did come to cry with us, but not just to cry. He did come to sit in the ashes with us and mourn, but not just to mourn. Jesus came to lift us up out of the ashes. Jesus came to inaugurate, to bring in, to usher in his kingdom of love, of joy, of peace, of righteousness. This is what I mean when the kingdom of God has come in, in, in that Jesus has come to inaugurate it on earth. What does that mean? What does that mean that the kingdom of God, that Jesus came to establish it on earth? Listen to Luke 4, verse 18 to 19. This is how Jesus himself explained it, why he came. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As you survey Jesus' life, every time, when, when he met death, okay, the, the few instances in the Gospels when Jesus met death face to face, apart from his own crucifixion, what did Jesus do? He brought life. He did that on numerous occasions in the Gospels. When Jesus met a blind person, what did he do? He brought sight. When Jesus met someone who was paralyzed, what did he do? He raised them back up so they could stand, so they could walk, maybe even run and dance before him in joy. This is what Jesus came to do, to inaugurate, to bring in his kingdom. If you still don't fully grasp that, think about the Hoover Dam. I think it's one of the very impressive feats of engineering that humanity has ever done. Okay, so the Hoover Dam. What is that? So it's this big old dome-looking thing. And if there was a centimeter crack in that big, I, I don't know if it's made out of concrete, I didn't look that up, whatever it is made out of, okay? If there's a centimeter crack in that from one side to the other, water will certainly trickle through that, okay? And eventually, with enough time, the unrestrained power of the reservoir water will burst forth, will break that thing, and it will unleash into the canyon below. When Jesus came into the world, 
in a sense, it was like a crack being put into the Hoover Dam, although it was probably a lot bigger than just a centimeter. But see, that when, so look, when Jesus walked around, there were so many miracles, so many profound things happening, so many deliverances. And for example, one time when Jesus delivered a man who was demon-possessed, so this man was going crazy, he was running around, he uh, never lived among people. When Jesus healed him, what happened? What did Jesus say? By the power of God, I cast out that demon. And when I do that, the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see that? When Jesus heals you, when he delivers you, when he blesses you, when he restores you, when he builds you up, that's what the kingdom of God means when it comes into your life. And slowly but surely, eventually, the kingdom of God is fully going to come into the world. It's going to flood the earth like a waterfall, and everything, every person will see the glory of God. They will acknowledge the salvation of God. But that's only going to happen at the end of time. When Jesus first came, he came to make a crack into the darkness, to, to shine light into the darkness just a little bit. And then eventually, little by little, slowly but surely, his kingdom will grow into the whole world. So friends, if we're going to receive Jesus as king, you must believe that he came to set up his kingdom on earth. Number three, the impact of the kingdom. When you think about the kingdom of God, impacting your life, and as I was just describing even what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, kind of walking around, doing miracles, healing people, when you think about that, typically you might think of external displays of power. Okay, when you, when you think, all right, God, I want your power to touch my life. I want your, your healing to touch my life. Lord, I have a piercing, sharp pain in my back, and I want you to heal me so that I can stand up and so that I can walk again. If Jesus does that, that's a tiny little foretaste of the kingdom to come, to be clear. And sometimes Jesus does do that. Right? That's a good prayer to pray, just to be clear. Okay? It's right, it's proper to pray for those physical types of healing and deliverance, right? If you're going through cancer, some kind of illness, it's okay, it's good, it's right, proper to pray for that. What I remind you is that God's kingdom impacts you in other ways too. Primarily, God's kingdom impacts you in the heart. So Jesus' kingdom isn't just about healing your physical circumstances, healing your physical body, although it entails that. His kingdom, here and now, is about healing you in the heart. Healing you in the heart. What do I mean by that? Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, just for a moment. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Arguably Jesus' most famous sermon that he delivered. Matthew 5, 44 records what I personally believe is one of the, if not the hardest, commands in the Bible. Matthew 5.44 Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When it comes to that command, love your enemies. Whether or not you have somebody in your mind right now that you personally might identify as your own enemy. It's possible, by your own physical strength, to show mere kindliness to your enemy. Somebody's your enemy 
let's say you stumble upon them uh, at Walmart or something, okay, it is possible, dep- well, I guess it depends on your personality, right? It's possible to you know, give them a little wave and maybe a little smile and then just go back to hating them in your heart after you part ways, okay? It's possible to do that. But to truly love your neighbor from your heart, to have compassion for them, to care for them to the point that you actually pray for them, and not necessarily the vindictive prayer, but a prayer of salvation for them, that they might come to know the Lord. To truly do that, that requires the kingdom of God doing a work in your heart. I love what one pastor and professor said. He said, one of the deepest mysteries of human personality and character is that a man can deeply and earnestly desire the best welfare of one who would seek his hurt. This and this alone is love. It is character It is inward righteousness. It is the gift of God's reign. That is what the kingdom of God means when it comes upon your heart to truly love your enemy. But it's not just that. That's just one tiny little example, right? The kingdom of God, Jesus coming into the world as king. What does that mean for you and I? In part, it means he came to cleanse your heart, to purify your heart, to do a work inside your body. Is it right and proper to pray for physical healing? Yes, but my question to you today is, do you also care about the condition of your heart? Do you also care about the status of your soul? Do you love your enemies? Do you pursue purity in your heart? Little by little, when the kingdom of God touches you, little by little, slowly but surely, He will cleanse you. That's the impact of the kingdom. And lastly, number four, the invitation to the kingdom. Let me be frank and clear here. Jesus is not interested in spectators. Jesus is not interested in spectators. He does not want you to merely observe him at a distance. He wants you to be an active follower and an active participant in his kingdom. Think of it like this. Understanding every analogy falls short. Okay? How many of you like sports in here? Let me see it by hands. Okay, uh, opposite question. How many of you do not like sports? Out of curiosity, just raise your hand. You just, you never turn on a game. Okay, that's fine. Uh, that, if that's you, that's all right. Um, hopefully this will land for, for everyone in here. All right, so let's say you're sprawled out on the couch. And so right here in the U.S., this is basketball and football season, both college and um, pro. But let's say you're sprawled out on the couch. You're flipping through the TV, looking at something to to just waste your time with, and you stumble upon the UVA basketball game, okay? I don't know who they're playing next. Somebody can fill me in on that one after. Let's say UVA is playing. It's live. It's on. You turn on. You're like, huh, you know, I'm around Charlottesville. I have somewhat kind of an affinity for UVA just by proximity, even though I may not love the university or whatever. So, uh, Interesting. You keep flipping, and then you find Star Wars on. You're like, yeah, I think I'll land with Star Wars. So you watch Star Wars. You see Luke and Darth Vader hash it out. Commercial comes. What do you do? Eh, I think I'll flip back to the football game. I don't want to watch commercials. I'd rather watch something else besides commercials. So you turn, you flip back to the UVA football game. Okay. What I just described there, if, if that would describe you even a little bit, you are a passive spectator of that game. 
a passive spectator. You might have a very surface-level interest in the game, a very rudimentary understanding of how, what the rules are and, and all that kind of stuff, but you would never say you're a follower of that team. Never. You're just a passive spectator. Here's the swing to the spiritual realm, okay? You cannot approach God, Jesus, the Bible, the kingdom of God, Christianity, you can't approach Jesus with that mindset, with this passive spectator. Yeah, it's, it's semi-interesting, but I'm not fully committed to it, so I'll just you know, look at it here and there. You cannot do that with the kingdom of God. In the sports analogy, think about it again like this. To follow a team, to really be a follower of a team, what does that mean? Let me, let me pose that one out to you all. If somebody says, I follow UVA basketball or football, what would that look like in their daily lives? Let me hear an evidence of that. They know the stats, okay? So they know, the, you know how many times the player has shot, what their percentage is, if they're good or not. Very good. What else? How would you know they're a follower of a team? Record? What do you mean? Okay, yeah. Yeah, not just player stats, but you know how many games has the team won or lost. Yep. What else? What colors they wear? Yeah, that's a pretty basic one. Yep, what else? Say it again. Oh, apparel. Yeah, yeah. Um, What else? Say it one more. Oh, yes, yes, yep. Watch it regularly. Even more so, a, a true follower or fan, they would go to all the games, even the away games, right, to be the true follower of said team. They would even buy a hot dog at the, you know, at the stadium, right? This is what it means to be a follower of a team. Now, Jesus, he calls us to follow him, to follow him faithfully, to follow him avidly, passionately. And when it comes to, to Christ, and think about Christmas Eve, right? You're here on Christmas Eve, and that indicates to me just a little bit, you have a semi-interest in Jesus. Semi-interest in Jesus, because you're here, right? If you did, had nothing, wanted to do nothing with church or Christianity, you'd never walk in the doors of a church. You have a semi-interest in Jesus, and that's a good thing, okay? But Jesus invites you to follow him, and that means two big things. How do you be a follower of Jesus? Two big things. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. What do both of those words mean? Confession. That means you verbally, with your mouth and with your heart, right? you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I'm interested in you. Jesus, I want to know you. So it means verbally using your mouth and saying that. But it's also about repentance. Backing up that claim with the way you orient your life. For example, if I say, I want to go to Hawaii, but I don't want to pay the money. I want to go to the movie theater, but I don't want to drive there. Okay, you can say one thing, however glorious or astounding the claim might be, I want to follow Jesus, I want to become a Christian, but you don't reorient your life accordingly, it's meaningless. To follow Jesus means you have to count the cost. There is a very high cost involved. You have to lay aside your sin, your pride, your lust, your greed, your self-centeredness. You have to lay it all aside to follow him. It's a very pricey cost. Will you pay it? And if you will, repentance is reorienting your life to back up that claim, to serve him, 
to use your money, your time, your energy to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to confess that he is Lord and to repent and follow him as Lord. So if today, I don't dare make a claim upon y'all's hearts, I, I, I barely know my own heart, but if today you are, a fo- you are a fan of Jesus, you're a spectator, I encourage you, please follow him. Please follow him in your life. At the same time, I'm fully aware that I'm speaking to a lot of followers of Jesus already. Many of you already do follow him, not perfectly, but faithfully. You do love him, you do want to know him, you do want to serve him. I remind you, as I began this, this little section on the invitation, Jesus wants you to be a follower, but also a participant. Okay? Also a participant. He wants you to be on the field, throwing the football, running, doing the plays. He wants you to be on the court, dribbling the basketball, not just cheering from the nosebleed section. All right? He wants you to be an par- active participant in his kingdom. You might be immediately retort, you know what? I can't do that. I can't execute well under pressure. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I don't know the plays. I don't know how to be a team player. I don't know how to do all these. I don't know the rules of the game. I don't know how to work as a team. If you feel scared or unqualified to be a part of the kingdom, to be an active participant in the church, right? the good news is that the king who has come is the same king who gives you the power to do it. Right? Playing, if any of you have ever actually played, not, not even talking about formally or officially, but if, even if you've just played a pickup game somewhere, you know it's very different than watching a, a game on TV. It's very different. And the King Almighty, King Jesus, He equips us to do that. He gives us the strength to do that. That's what He did with His own apostles. Think about the first century. Matthew, Mark, and, or actually, Mark, yeah, so th- I don't want to... Hiccup myself regarding the 12 apostles. But um, the 12 original followers of Jesus, what was his template? How did he work with them? What did he say? There was, a, there was a stage, a progression. What did he do? He said, come and see. There is a time and place to observe, to watch, to, to be a type of spectator for a season. Okay? He, Jesus said, come and see. And then what did he say? Follow me. Follow me. And then what did he say? Go. Go out. I'm sending you out. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the typical stage Jesus calls anyone. For you even today, come and see. Evaluate my claims. Follow me. And then I'm going to send you out. You're going to be an active participant in the kingdom. So friends, wrap this up. For you and I to follow Jesus this Christmas season, We are called to receive him as king and to rejoice in his kingdom. Receive him as king and rejoice in his kingdom. Listen to the songs again. We end where we began. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Number two, come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing, come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Number three, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing.
Friends, we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to be a participant in his kingdom. Have you done that? Are you doing that? That's what Christmas is all about. It's not about a history lesson, looking at cute nativity scenes. It's about reevaluating who am I in light of Christ's coming. Jesus has come. He is the king. What does that mean for me? How do I respond? What is my life going to be like now? In conclusion, um, if you can go to the next slide. Last week, if you weren't here, that's all right. We began unpacking what the kingdom of God is. And here is a little summary about what we as a church ought to declare and believe regarding what the kingdom of God is. So if you will, please recite this with me. Then we'll close with one final brief word of prayer. This is what we as a church ought to declare about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God includes both his general sovereignty over the universe and his particular kingship over men who willfully acknowledge him as king. Particularly, the kingdom is the realm of salvation into which men enter by trustful, childlike commitment to Jesus Christ. Christians ought to pray and to labor that the kingdom may come and God's will be done on earth. The full consummation of the kingdom awaits the return of Jesus Christ and the end of this age. Our Father, will you please help us to know your word? Will you please help us to love your word? Will you please help us to live out your word? We thank you that you have spoken to us through the most clearest revelation ever, and that is through the living word, Jesus Christ. May we see him, may we savor who he is, may we hear him, and may we humbly respond in faith and in obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.